So being able to find people that have similar past or stories to you, to like become mentorship and guidance, I think is so powerful as being underlooked now. Because that's one thing I'm like very you know happy or honored about is a lot of some of my friends who transitioned out or kids who like you know stop playing pro soccer will reach out to me and I'll have a conversation with them saying, hey, it's okay. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. I'm Tom Richardson, and I'm joined, as always, by my trusty partner, Joe Favorito. Joe, welcome back for another show. March Madness, Tom, March 2021. March Madness, and we're going to talk about that today, but there's also NFL Media Madness, Joe. NFL are, you media st- madness. are you still counting the zeros in the new deal that was announced this week? And, and how many, you know... There, can you imagine if this was three years ago and the NFL announced, oh, we're going to give Thursday night football to a streaming company, mm-hmm. the outrage that would be there now, right. all of a sudden it's like, oh, Amazon. Okay. What's right. next? Right. Yeah. And, and as someone uh, tweeted yesterday, Joe, Amazon did not pay streaming prices for that package. It was, it was mm-hmm. quite lucrative for the NFL, yep. but look, it's a reminder of just, how big and important the NFL is, not only just in the sports business, but in the entertainment media culture of this country. It's really a stunning deal when you study it. And, uh, and, and let's not sleep on the NHL and the NHL. No, absolutely. They deserve a lot of credit for that deal. But the, the thing about the NFL that is remarkable is the, the sheer size of the increase, which is estimated to be close to a hundred percent increase or doubling of the deal. I'm not sure if it's technically up to a hundred percent, but that is an amazing thing considering we're in the midst of some of the biggest disruption the media business has ever seen, including the continued growth of cord cutting, et cetera, et cetera. So look, it's a, it's a great story. And it's, it's good to be the NFL, put it that way. Um, And I I think personally uh, we're doing this on the, the Friday, March 19th. And having turned on March Madness today, I said to somebody, I actually put a Twitter post up about it, sitting there and watching those games, I totally forgot what it was like to miss that last year. And there's nothing like it. And I think this run, even I don't care what the ratings are going to be, the next month, I would say between March Madness to opening day for baseball, you're going to see an emotional outpouring of what it was like to be there when things happen, mm-hmm. like we've, we haven't seen maybe ever. And I think that's, as things open up, that's gonna be the boon to get us started. Now, whether people show up 40,000 people for a baseball game in May, that's a different story. But, um, but I think that combined with the rights deals of, especially the NFL, but the NHL, you know, show that there is, you know, people had said, oh, sports is gonna collapse. Well. Not really. You know, you still look today over the last year and it's still at least I think I looked yesterday, 96 out of the top 100 broadcast events are sporting events live. So mm-hmm. we ain't going anywhere, which is great news. And especially as people coming into the industry, young people or people transitioning, the job market is going to open up pretty quickly as things turn around. So get ready. Hopefully. I agree. And with April, you know, let's not forget the Masters. Let's not forget the most exciting parts of the NBA and NHL seasons. The playoffs yep. begin. The NFL uh, draft. The NFL so. draft. And um, obviously all the stuff happening in uh, with other spring sports and for the colleges that are playing spring sports 
And but, sitting out there, that thing in Tokyo, in in hopefully in July, we'll see that, how that goes. sitting out there. Yeah, we won't be there, but we'll be paying attention. But no, it's a, it's anyway. a good feeling. But this this story that's been developing around the college sports scene has been so fascinating, Joe. We've covered this at various points over the last year or two, but it's really heated up to a point where it, it it's kind of become almost a daily story in the sports business world. This this issue of what's happening at NCAA um, on the subject of athlete compensation yep. and the so-called NIL name image likeness. So we're gonna review a little bit of that today with our guest, but it's a really timely topic because some of the legislation in the individual states that have passed NIL laws actually goes into effect now very soon, this summer. Really? July. And and it's like game on in the world of NIL. It was kind of theoretical. I remember when you and I first talked to Carla about yep. it, maybe a year ago, mm -hmm. it was kind of just this theoretical idea. Now it's like, okay, this is happening. How's it all going to work? So we'll talk about that today. We are so pleased to have a, uh, a guest that is very close to our program because he's an actual student or a, a, alumnus or a student. Are you graduated? I am formally graduated. Yes, I did I my so. diploma. I'm sorry I messed that up. Lyle. No, it's okay. They still <laughs> no, more, the... no more checks coming from line. Really? No um, but someone who uh, we know well and who knows us well because he actually attended the sports management program at Columbia. And it was a real pleasure to have him in the program. And it's really amazing to see what he's doing right now. And that's something we're going to talk about today. But a little bit about his history. He's got quite the resume. So I'll just give some highlights. He was a... So Tom, before what? you do that, yeah, his name is Lyle Adams. So okay, I was going to... I was leading up to that. I was leading <laughs> up to that. Okay. Fair. Wanted to see if anybody could guess just based on the resume. Um, so former uh, D1 soccer player at Wake Forest. A brief career in Major League Soccer as a professional soccer player. Oh, it's Okay. I see uh, the, the, you know, kind of the, the small, the small sign. That's fine. But you, you can call yourself a professional soccer player, which mm -hmm. Joe and I can. Um, and then interestingly, five years at Uber, kind of the early days when Uber was really growing. And, and that's kind of an interesting angle. Then he came to the Columbia program um, and was doing stuff along the way in the world of entrepreneurial activities and venture, things like that. But most interestingly, about a year ago, the beginning of the lockdown actually, or the pandemic in uh, spring of 2020, he started a really fascinating business on this very subject, related to this very subject of NIL. So the company is called Spry Payment Systems. And we are joined today by its CEO, and I believe its founder, Lyle Adams. Welcome, Lyle. Thank you for having me, Tom and Joe. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I listen to the podcast frequently, so it's, it's an honor to be an actual guest on the podcast now. He's the one, Tom. There it well, is. Thank you. We, we, we appreciate that. Um, Lyle, in chatting before we started recording, I, I thought of a question because of the timing of the launch of Spry that I want to start with. And that is, you had the crazy idea of starting a company at the beginning of a pandemic, one of the most difficult periods in the history of our country, in, in the history of business. And there you were with a mission uh, and you've, you've followed through in that mission. You're a year in, and as I said before, it's game on. So 
Tell us about that um, and kind of where that energy and inspiration came for to actually take these steps to launch a company. Um, well, thank you. So I would say um, it started back with like, you know, my first semester in the program, you know, fall of 2019, because um, it was that fall when Senator Gavin Newsom passed Senate Bill 206, which was somewhat the catalyst for this whole NIL movement. Uh, we discussed it in some classes. I believe we actually talked about your digital media class, Tom. You know, we, we covered it in some of these other classes. So for me, it was always like in the back of my mind saying, hey, this is a great opportunity for a lot of athletes in the future. Uh, me being an athlete, I was like, hey, this would have been great. But my concern was, hey, I wouldn't have had a national campaign. But I started, I started doing some research to see what, hey, what kind of opportunities might be available to athletes. And once I realized it was like a lot of local opportunities as well, whether it was appearances, camps, clinics, private lessons, my mind started thinking about, wow, this could be really massive. So it wouldn't be tens of thousands of dollars of deals for most athletes, it's probably hundreds of dollars of deals. But dating back to my collegiate experience at Wake, an extra $500 in my pocket when I was in college was way better than having no money in my pocket. So for me, I was like, hey, how, this is going to be really massive. Uh, but obviously like, you know, things started happening with the legislative front, things got put on breaks, but in the back of my mind, I was always curious about how this was going to work. So fast forward to start of 2020. Um, hey, how, how, how is NIL gonna work? Well, I was like, I think it's an operational challenge. Because um, what many don't know is athletic departments aren't you know, staff like you know, collegiate staffs in terms of headcount. Um, most athletic departments have two to three people on the compliance side if they're lucky. Um, you have 400, 450 athletes within a compliance department. I think roughly 50 to 70% of athletes get deals. Like I said, it's not like, you know, the national Gatorade or Nike campaign. Mm -hmm. It's something in your hometown. It's maybe like you're doing a partnership with a local car wash where you work that in the summer, or you're doing appearances with your local club soccer team or youth basketball team. So I think based on that average now, you're looking at a thousand opportunities per school. Mm -hmm. When then you flip on the, you know, the school perspective, I think many schools are for name, image, and likeness, but the, the, the complexity comes around how to like protect the athlete and the institution at the same time. Like, you know, there are certain like, you know, look, look for example, like tobacco is no longer can advertise in broad stream media after what happened, you know, early, late, late in the nineties. So, but the same thing can be said, what's going to happen to cannabis or sports wagering in the future? Do you really want student athletes endorsing those companies? So for me, there was always an innate conflict that would arise. So it's not so much like, hey, let's prevent the athletes from making money. Not, not, I'm not about saying that at all. It's more about how do you help them, you know, manage this and operate their businesses correctly. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to ask a question, but we, we still didn't get to the, we, we should, you should walk us through kind of like why the light bulb went off as the pandemic started and there was no college sports. Um, we can get that in a minute, but I want to kind of touch on some of the things that you just talked about. One is when you walk across a campus, the only person who can't take a dollar right now are student athletes. If you are a great cellist, if you are a great mathematician, by the way, if you play esports and you are not part of the NCAA, you can get paid. There are club sports that I've been around, like rugby, where there were athletes getting endorsements at schools like Cutstown and Cal, and Cal and Michigan because they were part of club sports. Um, I think, and, and I wrote a couple things this week on this issue because uh, 
I can't remember, I was trying to look at my phone, but the phrase that has now come out in the last 24 hours is not NCA. I'm not NCA property. I think that's the way college basketball players have talked about March Madness. But the unique things that come about are those type of micro opportunities also tied to cause. And the thing that I remembered this week was some people may remember that last year at the beginning of the season, there was a young man from Jamaica who made a shot for Stephen F. Austin to beat Duke. And it was everywhere. It was in, it was in early November. And I often thought about the fact that if NIL was in play, and all he did was talk about, by the way, how he wanted to help his family's relief fund in Jamaica because they had been hit by the hurricane the summer before. Now, if you fast forward, the opportunity for, some, for him to suddenly say, I want to create a GoFundMe page or raise money on campus and use this once in a lifetime platform to raise money for what I'm doing makes perfect sense to the world, except it doesn't make sense to the NCA right now. And that will change going forward. And I agree, that's kind of where those opportunities are. Tom, we talked about um, uh, when we had our, um, the head coach, uh, Michael, who's the head coach, the, the fencing coach at, at Columbia, mm-hmm. world renowned, he talked about how he thinks his fencers are gonna be able to make a good amount of money through lawyers and financial services firms, because that's the easy thing for them to connect with. And I agree that it's not gonna be kind of this, you know, everybody's getting a gator, a piece of Gatorade, you know, if you're Trevor Lawrence, maybe that's true, but these micropayments for the entrepreneurial athlete, the social savvy athlete and the gritty athlete are gonna get some opportunities. Hopefully athletic departments realize that they have to help them out before we get to the point where it's, oh, here's the legislation. You have to start thinking about that now from an entrepreneurial side. So I congratulate you for getting that started. Yeah, and, and I'm, gonna tee, I'm gonna tee up um, Lyle's answer to that or response to that by reading a quote that I got from him and doing some research for today's discussion. You talked about the, what, what you called in one of your interviews, the charity opportunity. And this was the quote, one of the most powerful opportunities in the NIL movement is the ability athletes will have to make meaningful change in society. And I think that's part of it. I'm glad Joe brought that up because I think that's a really key thing for everybody to understand because I think some people who can be cynical look at it just as a commercial land grab just to make money here, which which is fine in and of itself, as you said, 500 here, 1,000 there. But to the extent you can really tap into some of the social causes and charitable causes. That's a that's a great angle on this story, even even just for PR, I would say. No, you're absolutely correct. Um, and that was what really stood out to me early on when they said fundraising campaigns could be allowed. Because if you look back at the pandemic, I believe Trevor Lawrence was initially told he couldn't do a fund GoFundMe to raise funds for COVID earlier in the year. And then, then they walked back from that ruling. Um, to your point, like I think well, seeing firsthand as an athlete, the impact we had at Winston-Salem was unbelievable. Like we would do summer camps in the summer and kids would come around for two, three hours from campus to go to camps. They knew all of our names. They came to watch our games. Like I went back to Wake not too long ago, pre-pandemic for an award ceremony and two of those campers are now on the soccer team. Mm-hmm. So it was really good to see, but like, you know, we would do fundraisers and we would raise a lot of money in the community. And this was in the late 2000s. So imagine now with, you know, how technology's advanced, amplified people's voices, social media, like you can do a lot of good, which I think is one of the benefits of NIL now, or some athletes now not coming out of, you know, 
college with student loan debt, they can make a little money on the side while they're, you know, very, you know, at the peak of their career. So I think there's a lot of benefits that will arise from allowing athletes to somewhat monetize from their name, image, and likeness. Yeah. yeah. So how does that how does that translate into the creation of Spry? Like you, you identified the problem, you started thinking about the solution. How did you go from here to there to go from idea to the execution uh, and the launch of a new business? Um, I mean, it was it was some stuff we covered in school. To be honest with you, like I had a hypothesis originally, and my hypothesis was athletes are going to need help on the you know financial aspects of NIL. Because unfortunately, athletes will be contractors, meaning that they're responsible for their own taxes at the end of the year. Um, 18-year-old Lyle was not the most financially responsible <laughs> or literate human being in the world. So I said, hey, how long did I save money? Uh, okay, two months, three months. So if an athlete has to save money for nine months to a year, I was somewhat concerned that many would um, forget about that, end up with like unfavorable bills or dues the following year. So that was my initial hypothesis. So I built some wireframes with a friend of mine who's a designer. And I started talking to some schools that I had relationships with, well, you know, Wake Forest, other ACC schools, people I had you know, met through the grapevine. And the more I started digging into things and the more I realized there was something going on there. I was like, hey, this is getting some legs. People are supporting my ideas. You know, how does this play out? Um, but then COVID happened. Um, me, a lot of those conversations I was having with the athletic departments, you know, stopped for obvious reasons. Like, you know, no fault of anyone's own. There's more pressing things than having product discovery calls with yeah. me, right? So obviously like, you know, things kind of shelved themselves for two, three months. Uh, but I used that time to kind of like, you know, flush out my idea. I did a lot of reading on what was proposed from the NCAA. I did, you know, what was possible earnings opportunities, how the landscape had changed since the O'Bannon case, what happened with the Northwestern case in the early 2000s. So I did a lot of time to research and, you know, I, you know, formulate an idea. Um, I was then given like, you know, a bit of positive information, you know, from my girlfriend, my sister saying, hey, a lot of positive companies were started during the last recession. If you truly look at it, you have obviously Uber was there, Airbnb, Warby Parker, like a lot of like, I think Slack was founded during that period. So a lot of companies came out of the last recession, the end of 2000s, uh, 2009s and 2010s there. So I was like, well, I have a lot of free time. Let me now put my time to use. So in between taking classes and trying to volunteer at the Upper West Side Food Bank, I spent a lot of time like heads down on wireframes, building the product. Uh, so when things started coming back in the summertime uh, with like, the NCAA saying, hey, you know, we're going to move forward with you know, football, some schools having some clarity, some of the conversations started picking back up again. And I had used, and then I could actually have really good conversations with having a prototype and getting like, you know, really good feedback from my stakeholders saying, hey, what are your problems? Mm -hmm. So tell us about the business. How does it work? How is it different? There are, man, I don't want to say a hundred, but there's probably a hundred NIL, quote, NIL businesses. Everybody who's jumped into the space, everybody from Learfield IMG to, you know, there was a business that, um, uh, there's a former basketball player at Columbia who's now started, quote, an NIL business. Tell us what Spry does what the value proposition is and how you're set apart from everybody else? Um, I would say Spry is focused on the compliance aspects of name, image, and likeness. Um, in short, an athlete can't monetize from their name, image, and likeness if they're not eligible. Uh, and who protects their eligibility to the compliance department? 
So our platform now is geared at like, you know, giving compliance visibility and transparency into all aspects of NIL, and then working with student academic affairs to make sure athletes have the resources needed to be successful in the space, like around financial literacy, tax awareness, contract basis, basics, right? Because to your point, Joe, some athletes will have agents, but it's the top two, 3%. The majority of athletes won't have agents in the NIL space, but they still have to be their own business owners. So how do you prepare those student athletes with the tools or skills to be able to like negotiate a contract, make sure they save, make sure they're sharing stuff with the school to remain eligible. And that's kind of the core mission there of SPRIES to protect the athlete and the institution from a regulatory standpoint. Great. And so to that end, Lyle, you had to build this tech platform. So I'm curious, did you get a tech co-founder or you, I assume you're getting assistance on the technical side and also how did you get funding or did you get funding or are you self-funding? Um, self-funded. Um, so on the technical side, I was fortunate enough at Uber to spend a lot of time on the technical aspect. We used to build a lot of backend systems, data platforms, infrastructure work there. So in terms of um, the technical aspects, I spent early parts of COVID talking to a few engineering firms and laying out the specs, like, you know, hey, like, how would you design this from an architectural standpoint? Because like, mm -hmm. they were also, they had a lot of free time, work kind of dried up for some firms as well. So like, I spent that three, four months, like, laying out and building the back end. Um, we've officially started building the mobile app, you know, I would say, around the last class of spring semester. Mm -hmm. So we started mobile development, you know, late April, early May last year. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's been going swimmingly. So no, co no technical co-founder. I do have technical advisors. A lot of some of my former colleagues from Uber that we used to do a lot of things together on the app side, but we have a, our apps in test flight now and we're kicking off phase two of beta testing with our you know, beta customers. Right, so, so the main goal from a, from a rollout standpoint, when you do get, when you do get going, and will it be the summer when, it, when the things open up? Is that- No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so is, the, is the primary focus then gonna be the, um, the actual athlete experience in the form of the technology interface or, I think and, and, and simultaneously hit the athletic directors or the, the athletics departments uh, um, to, to use the other side of the ledger, so to speak? It's, it's, it's a push and pull. It's kind of like a symbiotic relationship. You need one for the other. So you're right. spot on with you know, or core starting early and like, you know, starting the second round of app testing is to make sure student athlete experience is first class. Because if it's a bad experience, unfortunately, they won't use the mobile application. And if they're not now using the application or sharing stuff, there's a strong possibility they, they could lose eligibility, they could have negative unintended consequences. So for us, getting, you know, waves and wave of beta testing was critical for the app. On the flip side, you know, those conversations with compliance and deputy athletic directors have been going on for the past eight months. So they've seen the platform, you've been able to iterate, you know, refine, relaunch, you know, refine the whole process over and over again. And then what's the revenue stream? How does the, how, once you're launched and up and running, let's say, you know, in the fall, how does the revenue stream work for SaaS-based business model with our primary customer being the athletic departments. Um, in no way, shape, or form, we wanted to monetize off the athletes. Hmm. Um, schools are already paying, you know, subscription services and they have platforms that the athletes use now. So we're kind of viewed as like a tech, you know, platform for the athletic departments and like being a former athlete, we didn't want to like, you know, be a marketplace and take any money from the athletes because like $500 might not seem like a lot, but if you only have $500, you got to keep as much as you can. So for us, it was like saying, hey, let's work with the athletic departments there. 
And the other side of that would be interesting. Um, I've talked to a couple of people who've said one of the areas that is grossly overlooked is the brand side because no one is really yet educating the brands on what they'll be able to do. Do you see an opportunity here for brands to come in and say, we need to understand everything that we're doing. Plus you've got all these athletes. Are there ways that we could work with you to get in front of the right, the right athletes or the right universities? Um, so on the education front, yes, we were, de we're definitely exploring that. We've had some conversations with brands, agencies, you know, sponsors to say, hey, how would you like to receive educational information? But in terms of the matching of athlete with deal, unfortunately, the legislation um, restricts, you know, the university to um, help with those opportunities. So we've stayed away from the matching of deals and focused more on like, making sure the, the university has the resources to make sure their athletes are successful, yep. right? To avoid the whole pay-for-play model. Okay. Tom's muted, so I'm gonna ask another question. Um, oh, sorry, wait, I just heard yeah, the, yeah. I did hear the siren. And I, I know, you know, like it's, I, it's funny, I was about I to say- like I was back on campus. Like We are returning like to normalcy, Tom, <laughs> as Lyle was talking and a siren was going by. I can't, I can't tell you how beautiful it was. To hear I was gonna say, that that is a very encouraging sound, uh, Joe, for the future of, uh, of 2021, getting back to normal for Columbia. Go ahead, Tom. <laughs> um, yeah. So while in, in terms of the um, in terms of the marketing, so it, it seems like the students will get it. They they are probably eager to jump in and, and get going. The ones in the states that will allow it. Um, what is the marketing plan to get to them to drive downloads, drive engagement, all the things you need to do with a mobile app? because that's gonna be critical because you're gonna to wanna to get to a decent level so as to help the athletic departments, which is yeah. your customer. So. The customer, but the, the, the beauty of your customer is the athletic departments will somewhat distribute amongst their student athlete base okay. from, from a regulatory standpoint, right? Because um, I'll pick on my, you know, my former soccer coach who is, who's now at the coach at Pitt. Um, beginning of preseason, coach was very adamant that you had to attend preseason meetings. And everyone was always there. Coach was very adamant you had to report certain stuff to remain eligible. Um, I'm not saying the same, you know, tactics or methods will be necessary, but you know, the schools now have said, hey, student athletes, you already use Canvas or these other mobile applications for your day-to-day -day life as a student. And I view Spry as the similar thing now as they enter the NIL landscape in the future. Makes sense. Hey, um, I want to go one step down, kind of, because I'm assuming that this this could apply across all divisions in the NCAA uh, and NAIA. Have you thought about high schools and prep schools and how they, because I, I still see a market there, especially locally. Um, and it comes up all the time where, you know, there's a fundraiser that's being done at a local high school. Athletes can't do X, Y, and Z because it could damage their long-term um, eligibility. Do you see a market for Spry going forward beyond just the college market? It's a great question. It seems like you've popped on my roadmap or you've seen my, my, uh, my product roadmap. It's like, I, just I, definitely, on my hands, so. I definitely, I definitely agree with you. I think high school is the next area that will, you know, need some assistance from a technical side to like manage this oversight, especially for those athletes who want to like progress to playing collegiate athletics of some sort. Um, it might take a year or two to figure out how, you know, all the all the you know, avenues an athlete can make money on like the, through the NCAA or the NAIA. 
But yeah. once that's kind of stabilized, I think now is how do you prevent, you know, protect now the, the future student athlete to make sure they're, they're not doing anything that will jeopardize them. Because like right now, college golfers, um, tennis players, some skiers can earn promotional money in high school, which the NCAA permits. Um, but that's from, that's from competitions. I don't know how that's going to be on a branding standpoint for some of those really transcendent athletes. Whereas how you mentioned, Joe, the entrepreneur in high school or the, the hustler who wants to say, I'm going to do some camps on the weekend to make some money. So I don't know how that's going to translate, but it's definitely something we're considering with uh, how we roll out the product in the future. So one other group that if, if it's not on your radar, because they may not be scholarship, but some of them are partially, um, and my friend Greg Moore, who's the, the commissioner of the SEAC, which is the largest HBCU conference, Division II, but still the largest, he pointed out two groups that everyone overlooks in NIL, cheerleading and bands, and especially bands on scholarship. Uh, there was a tremendous story for anybody who wants to go online and look at 60 Minutes from the last week, which is the middle of March. Tremendous story on a high school band in New Orleans, America's band. Um, but have you looked at even those type of areas or is it still focused just on the traditional athlete? No, we, we've looked at everything, to be honest with you, because I, I think everything will be examined over the next 24 months, right? I, I feel like NIL from the, you know, as we probably think about the revenue generating sports and like the Olympic sports, I think that just that, you know, opens, you know, opens Pandora's box. Like everything I think will be reevaluated. Like I think the Olympics now are considering esports if they not only have or doing esports in the future. There's a lot of new events coming out at the next year's Olympics, right? So I think, you know, band, cheerleading, they're, they're all wonderful, you know, vehicles and they're still, you know, student athletes in my opinion, because they're, they're spending time in class and they're spending a lot of time at practice. So like everyone will be under the microscope and things will hopefully change for the better in the future. Cool. Well, there's no, there's no oversight by the NCAA in those areas. If there's scholarships, there are. There, there's no. Okay. There are no traditional. There is no NCAA cheerleading championship, but there is a national cheerleading championship. And, and are there are there cheerleading scholarships? Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So and band scholarships. There are a lot. Of, a lot of schools do. You know, even a school like Temple has a marching band. They give band scholarships that don't fall under athletics in some places. But there are massive competitions, and I would imagine there are there are opportunities there to maximize um, exposure that, that probably are not being realized right now. It still is a little bit funny to think about the fact that, Joe, to your point before, students in other walks of life, such as musicians, that, I don't know, like a trumpet player in the school's jazz band can go play gigs on the weekend and probably make hundreds of dollars, and no one's, no one's tracking that, no one's monitoring. He can take cash. He doesn't have to pay taxes necessarily. Yeah. You know what I mean? That that's that, Sonny Vaccaro. That's been Sonny Vaccaro's argument from from day one, is that anyone who walks onto a campus can make money other than student athletes. Right. They're the only group that cannot make money no matter what you do. If you're great at something else, if you're a physician, you know, a physicist, if you are, you know, like we talked about esports, if you're a chess player, you can go and make money unless you are getting a scholarship. And by the way, that's not true. You are getting, so if you're getting a math scholarship, you can go and be a tutor and make money. Absolutely. So how is this, it's, it's never been any different. It's been a tremendous hypocrisy, in my opinion, for the history of the NCAA. I remember, you know, not to digress, but there was a great time, you may remember, a great guard at Kentucky during the Eddie Sutton years named Kyle Macy. Kyle Macy was a joke. Kyle Macy played at Kentucky for like 17 years. He was like at Kentucky forever uh, when they, they were really good. 
And there was a time where he was, a, took a picture um, that was went into a, 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 po, a, um, a, a calendar for a sorority to raise money. And the NCAA suspended him for five games because the sorority, which he had nothing to do with, were making money off of his image. And I, I remember that, and I was in school then, so it was in the 80s, that I thought that was tremendously disrespectful to him and, and really denigrating to the university. But those are the type of things that I think, you know, when Lyle looks at his business, that I think are gonna have a tremendous upside that most people just aren't thinking about right now. They're thinking about, you know, the elite athletes who are gonna try and make money off of, you know, whatever national deals are gonna come in. That's a good point. Lyle, let's, let's take this, look at a different angle of this. Let's go back to when you were at Wake. Um, if this had been available to you at Wake and trying to project what the, the athletes of today might be thinking if this is legalized in their states this summer, do you think many athletes will be incentivized to actually become proactive in looking for deals by using their social media and kind of becoming more self-promotionally minded? Or is it just kind of an, the occasional inbound where you get invited to something like you may have in the past, like those soccer camps or whatever? In other words, do, do, we, do, do all the athletes have to become marketers for themselves? I, I don't think so. I think you'll, you'll have a mix. Uh, what the distribution or the mix looks like, I don't know. But I think there will be some athletes who you know, build, build brands while they're in university, you know, colleges. You've kind of seen it now, like some athletes come in and they, they've become a lot bigger or more savvy on social media. And they now leverage that to become, you know, a sports pundit or like, you know, a reporter, have like a, media, a social media presence. So I definitely see that only growing, but there's some athletes who might just wait for that occasional message or someone to reach out to you, who like enjoy being a collegiate athlete for like, you know, just the experience. Um, there's a lot of talk about how it might negatively impact recruiting or like, you know, people going to certain schools, like it might have a play in that. But speaking about myself, I wanted to go to Wake. Like I wasn't going to like say, I'm gonna go play soccer in a more marketable city now, um, just to have access to making money up via NIL. I was like, hey, this is the school I wanted to go to at the end of the day. So, you know, I think that will remain the same for a lot of athletes or where they receive an opportunity. Right? Do you get an opportunity to get a full ride at some school? You're gonna most likely consider that offer unless you have a better offer someplace else. Yeah. Did you guys hear about this new business called Uncut? I'll say yes, because you just put something in our chat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm reading the headline from the story I just shared, but I read about this last week. The Uncut Network uses quote, Players Tribune approach to cover college sport, sports and it's grown. It's essentially a media platform guys for, uh, for athletes to share their stories in a convenient, easy way. And I, I just find this particular uh, issue or aspect of NIL interesting because to the extent someone is thinking again, proactively about trying to make some money back, it's not just gonna happen without, in my opinion, some effort. And that effort can, can, can be uh, expended, I suppose, in different ways. But this idea of putting yourself out there, social media articles, whatever, or like this uncut example, it, it feels like we, we could be on the cusp of, of a kind of explosion of college athlete content because of these availabilities and the, and the value that they may bring for the students financially. So, so the one thing that I will say, the cautionary tale with content 
is, and it was the both the opportunity and the anchor around Players Tribune is everybody thinks their story is worth money. Right. So using that as a way, and th this is why, you know, the reality check will set in at some point over the next couple of years where guess what? You're really interesting, but I ain't paying for that. You know, unless, unless you are, you know, you already have a massive following. It's really hard to say that. I, I think, you know, I think what you do is, and it's like, kind of like, honestly, Tom, like what this podcast is, what, you know, my blog is, it's a marketing tool for something else. And if you can use your story and tell your story correctly, using Lyle's platform to make sure that you're not breaking any rules, you use that to pivot to reach a larger audience in casting a wider net. I, I think that people going into this to think that, you know, everyone's going to be the next internet sensation. We know that the influencer world has kind of receded a little bit because of that, because it's hard. And by the way, you better be, you better still finish your day job or your day job and your day job too, which is keeping your grades going, staying in school and eligible, and also being a pretty good athlete in addition to the other thing that you're going to do, be doing. So um, I, I think that there's no shortage. I think colleges, frankly, have failed tremendously at storytelling around their athletes. Uh, they've squandered years of great stories because they just don't think proactively, most schools, unfortunately. Um, but I think that factored into a narrative that a company like Lyles could lead them down could be you know, a nice building block for, for potential partnerships down the road. Just no, I, I agree, Joe. I, mean, I think a lot of athletes now can share a bit more like, without like, you know, um, being concerned that they might break a rule and they could lose their scholarship or they can't play anymore. Like um, when I stopped playing professional soccer, that transition period was tough. Um, not in that, like, you know, this was now early 2000s. There's no social media, but like soccer was kind of part of my identity for so long. Right. And then I had to like realize, hey, I was still Lyle Adams, a person, not Lyle Adams, a soccer player. I was a person who played soccer. But once I kind of got over that, like I wasn't able to like, you know, get a job, like, you know, start working again. But it took a period of time. Like I didn't really have anyone to talk to. So being able now, like, you know, not to be a negative, most collegiate athletes don't go pro, become pro professional athletes. The majority of us get normal jobs. So being able to find people that have similar paths or stories to you to like become mentorship and guidance, I think is so powerful. It's being underlooked now because that's one thing I'm like very you know happy or honored about is a lot of some of my friends who transitioned out or kids who like you know stopped playing pro soccer will reach out to me and I'll have a conversation with them saying, hey, it's okay. Like here are some steps now you can use to like find a job, you know, get you know start networking, build a LinkedIn profile. And I would say the other side of that is sometimes by listening, and I think part of the, the beauty of what our program is, not to really kind of trumpet the people that we have on our program, is we have great, the ability to listen to people and help them tell their stories or figure out the skills that they have that they don't even realize. And that's where, you know, I think NIL can probably get some people to because it makes them think more like, business savvy, more business savvy, but also realize what their skills are that translate to other things when they leave the field or the ice or the pitch or wherever it is that they're, you know, they're, they're competing for so long from when they were three, probably, to when they end up being 21. So go ahead, Tom. Lyle, I assume in the, in the run up to this summer when, when 
this all starts. You've spoken to a fair number of current student athletes. Is there is there a sense of excitement and anticipation around this, or are 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 people really feeling excited about it? It's it's a there's definitely um, a level of excitement. There's also a level of um, I would say concern or like you know wondering of what's going to actually be the rules and regulations. So some don't want to dive. Um, head first into start doing research and planning because they don't know exactly what's going to be permitted. But there's still like an underlying excitement of, hey, this is a possibility. But that's kind of been, um, I would say, drowned out now because there's just so much going on right now for in the spring for collegiate athletes. You know, I believe the Ivy is one of the few leagues who, you know, you know, said no to spring sports, but a lot of campus are having their normal spring sports in spring and a lot of their fall sports in the spring right now, right? right. Typically they, they, they would go half and half, but some schools right. have 19 spring sports so they're overwhelmed. So the athletes are just trying to get by right now, which is kind of my, you know, concern is how do you make sure that your, your platform is ready in preparation for July 1st when Florida's life laws goes live? Right. How do you make sure the athletes have the resources ahead of time to be successful instead of having a crash course in a short period of time? Because if things are condensed, the probability for mistakes might increase, which is like my concern. Yeah. Which was the beauty of Lyle starting his business in the middle of a pandemic because he had the chance to think about these things. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I remember seeing a, a post uh, at the beginning of March from a friend of mine at the Naval Academy who said on a Saturday there were no joke. 47 different athletic events going on at the Naval Academy at the same time. Think about that over the course of 48 hours. So crazy. Anyway, so Tom, you want to kind of, you have any, uh, any you want to get to our last two at some point. Just one more. I mean, it's interesting to me. And we we often talk about people's career journeys and and we didn't delve into yours as much uh, as we might have, because we want to focus on Spry and this exciting discussion around NIL. Bilal, you went from, a large disruptive company, Uber, uh, into the world of your own uh, entrepreneurial environment or becoming an entrepreneur yourself. So, so two questions related to that. One is what, it, what it was your big takeaway from the Uber experience? Because we'll go down in history as one of the most fascinating launches and developments of a company in the 21st century for sure. And two is, were you how do you feel about being an entrepreneur compared to working in a large company? Two good questions. So I'll answer the last one first. Um, I saw Uber go from sub 100 to 15,000. So I had a bit of the, the, the full startup experience from like the tiny company, like, and for context. Empl- you're talking about employees. Employees. Like I yeah, was, sub, okay, I was right. sub 100. Like my first day, I wow. built my, I built my desk at Uber. We didn't have, we didn't have facilities. I had to like, I ordered a desk and I built my desk. <laughs> then, right. I bought my, then I bought a computer and that was my first day on the job. Um, so seeing that experience that I was leaving when I left in 2018, when we had 15,000 people, global offices, IT departments who would give you computers on your first day. You had a desk all set up. It was, it was a really wonderful experience, but like being through the path of the journey was, is what I will forever trever, tre- cherish in that I, we made some missteps as a company. We did some things really, really well. And being able to like not only be a part of seeing what the good and the bad were in the early days were somewhat like, you know, very like inspiring, you know, especially as, you know, me launching my own journey now. They always say, hey, like, 
being an entrepreneur is tough and that's 100% spot on. You have more like, you hear a lot more no's than yeses early on, but you can't really get too down on those no's. But at the same time, you can't get super high on the yeses because you kind of have to remain even keel. So I think, you know, some books might say, hey, if you take two steps forward, don't take two steps back, only take like a half a step back. And it's kind of like, you know, my mentality here, it's like, this is kind of a process. Uh, and Uber gave me like a really good experience in terms of like, the thing that I, I would value the most from my Uber time was um, diversity of thought. I know it's become a very big thing in like, you know, workplace culture, but like looking at my early years at Uber, we had a lot of people from different backgrounds. I believe in the first like, you know, 20, 30 ops, you know, operations managers was my role early on. We only had one gentleman out of Seattle who came from the transportation industry. People came from investment banking, sales <laughs> strategy. It was all over like the, some came from venture. The, the mix of people was very vast, but I enjoyed it so much because you would always go into a meeting not knowing what you were going to come out with. You'd come out with a different perspective or a point of view from someone in a different city who didn't have your problems. And then we had a really good network for sharing this information. So we kind of like lifted us up as a collective unit, right? So it was like, hey, like, oh, Seattle's trying something. Actually, like Baltimore also has a lake in the middle of the city like Seattle does. Hey, like, what are you doing there to like, you know, improve dispatch times? And then you could like basically replicate that and build upon it. So that, that was the thing I valued the most was how diverse our team was. And I'm trying to do that with my hiring, having people from different backgrounds, not only, like I said, people understanding collegiate sports, professional sports, or people, people who just like sports and you might've done teaching or tech or finance, because you, you'll be able to bring something to the company or the product that will hit many different stakeholders. It's very Steve Jobs of you to think that way. <laughs> That's good though, I agree with it. It's funny, I don't know, Tom, the, the, the other side of that is, it would have been interesting, I guess, Lyle, how many people that you knew when you started Uber actually owned a car? <laughs> I owned a car when I started at Uber, right? I, I owned two, I mean, I would say all my friends owned cars at the time. Okay. So, so even like, you know, I grew up in Orlando. So, you know, funny Uber story is like, so I started the summer of 2012. Um, I could say before Uber was cool, before Uber X, it was black car only in DC at the time. Before um, it was public. But yeah, before it was public, all this stuff. So right. I went home that Christmas and my friends were like, hey, Lyle, where's, where are you working? I said, I'm, I'm working at this startup called Uber Technologies where you can like, you know, press a button and a car will show up. They go, so you work for a taxi company? I go, no, I work for a tech company. Uh, it's different. But like many of my friends just didn't get it. Fast forward now two Christmases, my same group of friends are trying to give me their Uber promo codes at Christmas time <laughs> saying, hey, Lyle, you want to use my promo code to go home tonight? I was like, let's flash back 16 months ago when you told me like, this idea was never going to work, right? So it's, it's, it's interesting to see how like, those times change. But like, I think, you know, the Uber experience showed from, a, I would say, a societal standpoint, like how quickly society can adopt to change when they want to. And I, and I hopefully NIL has that, you know, same, you know, follows that same path where saying, hey, we resisted some stuff for a while, but like, let's go in here and embrace change. And, you know, what it looks like maybe July 1st, 2021 is drastically different than what it looks like in July 1st, 2023. Yep. So one, one point before we get to the last two questions about that, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, when we ran our uh, mixed martial arts league, the International Fight League 13 years ago, our first one of our first sponsors was Microsoft. And it was right when um, their gaming systems were launching. And I can't remember the name of the guy who was in charge of the gaming systems. And he showed us 
the we and how this was going to be. And everyone's like, well, I understand that, but why, why would that be, you know, don't gaming systems change? And this is before obviously esports really came into vogue. And he said to us, do you think we actually built this Xbox thing just to play games on? It's going to be like your console going forward. And everybody looked at him like, what are you talking about? He's like, trust me, just watch. And that's, you know, kind of where we've evolved. Uh, you know, so thinking about NIL in that same vein, like when we have this second podcast with you in March of 2022, it will be really interesting to see, you know, we'll look back and say, Lyle, either what the hell were you thinking or did, when did you realize that this was your golden moment to, you know, to pivot the business? And I think that's being in where you are right now in a space, in a part of a space that's very volatile, but you're realizing a practicality to it, I think is probably going to give you an advantage. Plus, you know, your input as an athlete, I think gives you a tremendous advantage as well. Outstanding. Before we go to the final question, I'll just give you one suggestion. Promise all the young athletes that you can make them NFTs and they'll all download the app really fast. Absolutely. That, that, that's a separate conversation with another podcast. The experience okay. of NFTs has been absolutely amazing. Oh, me. yeah. I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with it personally. It's, it's really kind of amazing. I, I think actually, if you got them all really cool Uber codes, that they'd be really <laughs> combination of NFTs and Uber codes. That that's going to be their key to your marketing future mm -hmm. for Spry. All right, Lyle. So I think you know that uh, as a listener of the podcast, we like to ask everybody a couple of uh, questions to get their perspective on two uh, things that are important to everybody. One is how do you keep up? How do you stay smart? What are you listening to? Who are you following? What what's your secret to to stay to stay in current my podcasts have nothing to do with sports as outside of this podcast i listen to um bill gates and, uh, bill gates and rashida jones's pod podcast big stuff i think about like you know philosophical stuff i listen to the news on my alexa in the morning so like it's very odd that i'm i have a company focused on helping collegiate sports or helping collegiate athletics in some capacity. And outside of two podcasts, most of my stuff are outside or right. the news to kind of keep my mind sane. Right. Um, and the other thing is like, I, I occasionally, like I said, like to, you know, I, I, I do this thing called Lunch Club, um, it's a website where you can meet random um, people with sort of similar interest. So I, I get to have like a nice, every once in a while, every two weeks, join a meeting with someone in New York City virtually now, before it used to be for coffee that has a different kind of passion. Or like, it's just nice to hear different ideas or thoughts. And I, I kind of come out of these meetings like rejuvenated because I'll take something back and say, hey, can I apply this to my day to day? Whether it's like a book to read, like a coffee shop. And like, for me, those are the things that you know, I'm looking forward to getting back to is being able to like have a coffee with a person that we were introduced to by mutual Absolutely. friends. Just to like, you know, learn about a different experience or a different culture. Wait, so it's called Lunch Club? Yeah, Lunch Club. I'll send it to you right now. Okay, because I'm because well, I, I, have, I haven't even told yeah. Joe, I am now a Clubhouse guy and I'm thinking there should be a merger and we'll just call it Lunch Clubhouse and get everybody in one place because I keep hearing about all these different places to have conversations. Uh, but thank you for letting me know about that. Um, and the second question, Lyle, is about um, career advice. And I think uh, your perspective would be particularly interesting because you're close enough in age, for example, a lot of the students that are currently in the program, and you have had a pretty interesting experience of being in a large entrepreneurial environment, being an entrepreneur yourself, uh, and having, a, having an insight into both worlds that probably would be quite valuable for someone thinking about where he or she may wanna go. Uh, I would say on the career advice side, um, be curious. Um, 
I think the, the, the more curious you are, the better it serves you long-term. If you told 22-year-old Lyle, Lyle would work for a transportation tech company or a tech company, Lyle, 22-year-old Lyle will probably laugh at you because like, I wasn't really interested in tech at the time. I was interested in banking and like, you know, car manufacturing. But, you know, I ended up like, you know, getting an interview at Living Social. I started doing research on the tech space. And I was like, this is really interesting. So I then applied for a job and I, that kind of started my tech trajectory or tech, tech passing, but I never really thought that was going to be my calling. So I would say, like, have an open mind. Um, obviously, like, you know, everyone has dreams and aspirations of what their dream job was. And like, you know, being very honest, I didn't enroll in the program thinking I was going to start my own company. But it kind of, like I said, kind of happened by chance with having some conversations and stuff saying, like, well, I'm onto something. Let me now give this a try. So I would say, like, you know, be open and flexible and like, you know, opening new ideas and suggestions. But at the same time, like, always push yourself to learn. Um, learn something new if you can every day or every week. Because like, that's been the most interesting part of this journey so far is there are certain things I just don't know, but I'm okay with saying I don't know the answer to that and then seeking someone who can provide guidance or wisdom in that area or like hiring someone who knows that, right? Like, you know, the marketing, you know, marketing lead is significantly better at marketing than I am because like I'm unfortunately not a great marketer. So I was like, hey, I realized this quite early on. Like I need to go, you know, support us as a company to go find that person. But I think those are the two things that I would pass along. It's like, you know, be curious and like open-minded but also, you know, be honest with yourself and say, hey, like, this might not be my long-term goal, but like no one gets there at 22 or 25 or even 30. It takes time to get to your long-term goals, but can you take an experience and learn from it and use that to help you get to that long-term goals, the approach I've always had. Great. Nice. That's good advice. Um, hey, uh, last thing is how do people find Spry and how do people find you? Um, people can find me on LinkedIn. Um, Backslash Lyle Adams, pretty straightforward, my first and last name. Or you can visit us on the web at www.sprypayments.com. Um, if you submit an email, I will respond. And <laughs> so, you know, to find me via email as well. Right. Cool. He's, he's building Great. his own desk and getting his own computer, just like the early days of Uber. Uh, wow. What a, what a great story, Lyle. Thank you for sharing it with us. And we wish you a lot of success with spry starting the summer when it when uh, it all hits hits the fan so um by the way how many states this summer i don't think I, I know you just referenced florida but anything else there's a couple other states this summer too right there's a couple there's a couple pending right now so i okay. was also in the docket but nothing is fully finalized except florida florida's kind of like the firm date right now okay um there's a lot of things i think 30 some states have legislation pending so hopefully like i said we can have some sense of guidance and what the North Star ruling will be. Because to be honest with you, having different state legislations won't be user-friendly for the <laughs> students or administration, um, especially as they're trying to navigate, you know, all the challenges that will arise if, you know, if a kid lives on, lives in Florida, goes to school in Texas, right? Or Texas and vice versa. So hopefully we have some kind of guidance, uh, but fingers crossed, we're prepared for it on our end. So we'll just take it, you know, with a grain of salt. I, I find that really funny that you're saying that given how smoothly the vaccine and sports gambling have gone month by month. So. <laughs> That's great. Uh, I do like Joe's idea of doing a follow-up and, and tracking this and seeing how it's going. So we'll see. Uh, wh why don't you consider that an open invitation when you're ready to, to report back on, on some findings 
from the from the early months. Absolutely. Just let us know. We Whenever I can come to campus again, I will I will swing by campus when, when I'm permitted back on campus. Yeah, and don't forget if you're doing some hiring, you got to let us know. You got a Absolutely. lot of a lot of good people you can get get around Columbia. So cool. All right. Well, thanks, Lyle. Uh, Joe, anything else? No, I think that's uh, like I said. This is one of those ones when we look back, Tom, over the last five years of things that we constantly revisit because it's changed so much and how dated this will be. Um, coming back and doing this in the fall, I think will be really important, but this is a great primer for anyone looking to learn more about the NIL space, check out Spry, keep following it. Lyle, I'm sure is gonna be at the forefront of a lot of this, probably even more so than a lot of athletic directors and, and officials on campus and definitely students and parents. So, uh, you know, again, this has been a great opportunity for us to get in early on something that's gonna be really important, which is what we love mm -hmm. to do. Mm -hmm. Outstanding. Cool. Thank you well, once again for having me today. Oh, God, our pleasure, Lyle. So just to um, finish it up, everybody, we've been listening to the conversation with Lyle Adams, who is the founder of Spry Payment Systems, which is going to really uh, be uh, hitting the market uh, soon. I guess literally now that we're, it's March, what, three or four months away from going live? Uh, Florida, three months away. Nice. We'll, we'll okay. Move. So a few months. So check them out, spridepayments.com. Check out Lyle on LinkedIn. If you have any questions, I'm sure he will personally answer <laughs> your, your inquiries. So don't be shy. Um, but thanks again, Lyle and Joe. Thank you for a good show. Thanks to the our producers, Taylor and Ben. Appreciate it, you guys. Thanks to our fans for listening. And by the way, if anybody has any suggestions about either topics or guests, feel free to reach out to us through the Columbia program or at Joe Fav, well known on Twitter or at Convergence TR. Or if you're hanging out in Clubhouse, you can now find me in Clubhouse. And I'm about to send Joe an invitation. So maybe Joe too. I'm not, I'm an Android guy. I can't get it on Android. It's ridiculous. So anyway. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. Okay. I have so a dozen invitations. I haven't I'm glad you reminded me because I would have wasted one of my one of my we'll prize invitations on, we'll on you. Uh, anyway, thanks cool. everybody for listening. Lyle, good luck this summer. We'll talk to you uh, sometime in the fall or winter. Take care, everybody. Bye.